Good afternoon, Storehouse. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know that instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The word of God for the people of God. Good afternoon, Storehouse family. And if you're new, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McKellen. Last week, I mentioned that I was out of town, which I don't like. I love to be there with you. I love to sit under the preached word just as much as I love to preach God's word to you. However, this afternoon, I'm so excited for you. I'm kind of jelly. Uh, and that is that you're going to be served by Tony Garcia. Tony serves as our pastoral resident here at Storehouse McKellen. And that entails a bunch of different things. Tony serves on our Sunday teams by leading our volunteers. He serves on behind the scenes uh, type of work when it comes to everything from social media platforms to content development. But in addition, to that his biggest role is that of his pastoral residency a lot of reading a lot of writing a lot of immersive ministry experiences uh, so I'm jealous that you get to sit under Tony this afternoon but with all that being said let me uh, let me introduce you to Tony Garcia hey man so I guess you're not that jealous because you're here brother so oh man all right, so Storehouse, good afternoon. It is a, uh, a pleasure and an honor and a privilege to be here with you guys this afternoon, being able to share God's word with y'all. So, you know, with that little intro video, I'll just, uh, I think Mark already spoke uh, for who I was, right? So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tony Garcia. Like Marco said, I serve here as a pastoral resident at Storehouse McAllen. Um, I am a uh, married and been married for five years with my lovely wife Karina and as well as we have our uh, a one-year-old son uh, Noah so so yeah so that is me if you uh, have any questions regarding any of the ministries or anything regarding storehouse here you know you can always uh, reach out to me after service uh, I'd be more than glad to help you all out with that if you are new to storehouse Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Um, we have some Bibles on the pews there, and if you don't have one, please go ahead and take one. That is our gift for you. And if you, know, if you do have one, but you know somebody who might need one, still take it, gift it to them um, you know, on our behalf. And second, there's also Connect Cards. If you're interested in knowing more about Storehouse and who we are as a local body, uh, please fill one out, turn it in the Connect Desk, and somebody will reach out to you within 24 to 48 hours. 
So with that all being said, like Emma read, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to go ahead and read our scripture one more time as we uh, start off, you know, as we initiate this time. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. In all these things, as we told you before, beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you so much um, for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who has renewed us and who has saved us and in him who've been secured and made new. And Lord, I ask that in this time as we uh, walk through a, what could be a sensitive topic, Lord, that we ask that you, that you posture our hearts in a manner that, that, that we are able to receive your word for what it is. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, work in the lives of each and every single person that is here this afternoon. May you be glorified in this, uh, in this service, and may your people, Lord, be sanctified, for this is your will. We thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I remember being 10 years old and being with one of my uncles running errands with him. And this uncle, you know, at this point in time of my development, I wasn't really aware about what spousal intimacy was or even what the desires of men and women, uh, what the natural desires of men and women were. I just remember believing that if you have a wife or a husband, that means that these feelings are just for that person. During this time, he played, um, you know, he played more of a father figure to me during this time, given that my dad wasn't really around. Um, I looked up to him for who he was with his family and wife. However, on this day, I remember getting my first insight to what would be a progressive and degrading view of my sexual desires. As we got to the store, we passed by a woman that seemed to grab his attention. And in doing so, he made some illicit remarks and comments about this woman's appearance. This shocked me. I turned to him and I told him, Tubby, um, why, like that's what I call him, right? Why did, you give, why, did, why did you do that if you have a wife? And his response was, son, we are men. And God made us to want women and to desire them, even if they aren't our spouse. The feelings and desires are normal, he said. After that day, things would change for me. What was your first experience with this matter that shaped what you believe or believed about sexuality? What was it reduced to a mere drive or impulse like it was for me? Or maybe you were kept from it because it was a bad and unholy thing to talk about, it, which caused you to then be oversensitized to the matter? Or were you told that these desires are what makes you, you? Worse, if sin committed against you tainted your view of this God-given matter, whatever it may have been, 
Praise be to God who makes things new. I tell this story because we live in a world that is constantly made statements, arguments, and even cases about how and why human sexuality should be embraced to the fullest extent. Today, we will be seeing that human sexuality is not a mere instinct or drive, but a holy matter that should be a manner of worship and rightful and fruitful living for those who God has set apart. Our main idea for today, church, is this. A life pleasing to God is one whose sexuality is marked by holiness and surrendered to his will. I'm going to repeat that one more time. A life pleasing to God is one whose sexuality is marked by holiness and surrendered to his will. To give some context, if you're new here, you know, we've been going through the first letter of Thessalonians. And Paul is writing to these believers, you know, at this church in Thessalonica. And, you know, for the most part, it has been very encouraging. He's been very motivated to let them know about how, uh, how much he esteems their faith and how much he's thankful for them and how much he misses them and how much he loves them. However, in this portion, we're going to take a, a different direction as Paul exhorts and encourages these believers with a matter of sexuality. Again, the first three chapters were Paul, Paul longing to visit the church and not being able to because of you know, Satan stopping him. But in this part, he's going to give them instructions, better yet, remind them of the instructions that he had given them when he had first planted the church. Which then brings us to chapter 4, where Paul is instructing these believers on how to live in Christ Jesus. So our first point is this, a life pleasing to God is one that is for and by God and our good. Let us read verses 1 and 2. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul starts off this portion of the letter differently than in the last three chapters. Again, the first three chapters, he was grateful for them, acknowledging their faith, uh, you know, letting them know how much he loved and cared for them and how much he misses them. However, in this, we see Paul exhort his, his authority that was given to him by the Lord to communicate the urgency and importance of this request that he had of them pertaining to the matter. The matter that he was bringing up to their attention wasn't something that the Thessalonians weren't aware of. This wasn't the first time that they were hearing these instructions and what Paul was about to share with them. I think it's important to note that despite the healthy and captivating uh, faithful church that this was, God, through Paul, still made it a matter to discuss sexual purity. Again, we're, we're following the example. The name of the series is Captivating, right? Like, Captivated. Like, this was a church that was faithful. Paul wasn't writing pertaining to this matter because they were actually being corrected on it. No, no. This was something that they were doing. And we see that in the verse, right? So I think it's important for us to understand the immense impact that it has on our lives as believers. Before jumping into the matter of sexuality, it's important that we understand that as Christians, we have been made and been called to a life that is pleasing to God. Why do we want to live a life that is pleasing to God? 
because we are motivated by the love of Christ for us. It's not just a mere commandment that we are rigorously trying to follow as much as it is our desire to want to love Christ in this manner. Church, Paul wants these believers to know that the request that he has in his exhortation is based upon who they are in Jesus. In, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, he says, You are not your own, for you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. Therefore, we approach our sexuality not on what we ought to do or not do, with it, but as a means of willful worship and faithful in what God has called us to do. That is how we approach our sexuality. We don't approach it on a means of what we ought to do and not to do as much as we approach it as a means of willful worship and faithful to what God has called us to do. Paul tells them that you have already been doing this, right? So he's already telling them, like, hey, you guys are doing a good job of this. This is something that is already happening, so do it more and more. Meaning that sexual purity isn't one, it's not a one and done thing. It's not like you're saved and you finally have it figured out and you're done with it, right? No, no, no. That we, that, and that we accomplish once and for all, once we're saved. No, it's an area of our lives that is constantly and progressively growing and changing into Christlikeness. You see, sometimes we think that being good in our walk means that we can take a backseat to growth and maturity. Paul here is literally telling them that you can never outgrow the continual work of Christ in you. Again, they were doing this. He wasn't correcting them. He was encouraging them, but he was telling them, however, do it more and more. In verse 2, we see that Paul left clear instructions. He left clear instructions or commandments pertaining to the way that one ought to live and approach sexual purity. And what are these instructions? The scriptures teach us that human sexuality is a good and God-given thing. The Bible also tells us on how we ought to express and experience that sexuality, which is most glorifying to God and most flourishing and enjoyable to his creation. That sexual intimacy is meant to be shared between one man and one woman within the means of a covenant of marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, we see this clear instruction at the start of creation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." In our culture today, we worship and sacrifice our human dignity as image bearers at the altar of sexual immorality. Look at our society and culture today, stating that every individual has the liberty and freedom to determine the way they want to go about experiencing and expressing their sexuality. However, when each is left to determine that particular freedom, guess what? They're left to carry out this aspect of their lives, which then leaves room for sin and evil to be done unto others at the expense of one's own gratification. That's what it is, and that's what happens. And we'll, find, and we'll learn a little bit more about that as we continue moving on. As we will see later, we will see that when we don't take the instructions and the commands of God pertaining to this matter, you know, when it comes to these aspects of our lives, we will incur the sure tearing down of ourselves and others. 
So for the first point, like I said, is remembering that a life pleasing to God, church, is one that is for him, it is oriented and aligned by him, and it is for our goodness. And when we live a life that is pleasing to God, it takes us to know and experience his will for it. Which brings me to point number two, which is living in God's will with our sexuality. And this implies two things. The first thing is that living in God's, sexu- uh, living in God's will with our sexuality implies that we be sanctified. Let's read verses three and four. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Paul gives us clear and affirmative insight to what the will of God is for us. What is that? Our sanctification. Although there is much to say about the process of sanctification, I will keep it brief meaning that it is something that is set apart. Something that is sanctified implies that it's something that is set apart for special use or purpose. However, aside from being set apart, it also implies the process of being conformed into who and what we were set apart for. In this case, God's will, being our sanctification, implies us being set apart for him and to be progressively made more into the likeness of Christ. And although sanctification can be applied to different areas of our life, in this particular case, Paul is telling them that they are to continue in sanctification by abstaining from sexual immorality. To ensure that we have a clear idea as well about this word, uh, sexual immorality, it is uh, the Greek word porneia. And, you know, we've mentioned it, we've, we've educated it on before, so I won't say much on it. But porneia, which is basically um, a junk drawer for all sorts of sexual corruption and distortion. Meaning that anything outside of God's intended design for your sexuality would be considered porneia. Or sexually immoral and sinful, which includes both men and women who carry out these, uh, these, these, sexual, uh, these sexual drives or desires outside of God's intended will. The reason it's important to see why God, uh, Paul first stated that what the will of God was, which in this case being their sanctification, is because sometimes we look at abstaining from sexual immorality as something to just not do. We, we look at it in such a reduced manner to where we think it's just something that we ought not to do or something that we ought to do rather than seeing it as something that we ought to gain. Paul didn't start off saying, okay, you know, abstain from sexual immorality, which then, you know, at the end, like, you'll continue. No, no, he implied that the will of God, which is your sanctification, leads them to having to abstain from sexual morality. Why? Because there's something at stake here. Is there, is there sanctification? And I think this is why this may be such an issue with some of us. Because we see abstaining from sexual immorality as losing something or being kept from enjoyment or pleasure rather than seeing it as gaining something. What are we gaining, you may say, when we abstain from sexual morality? Christ's heart and being able to see and experience our sexuality for the holy matter that it is. 
Paul states that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. We're instructed that we are all to know how to control our bodies. We need to understand that this is something that we are constantly growing in. Sanctification drives us to gain power over the, sinful, or the flesh's sinful and corrupted desires more and more after we mature in Christ, as we mature in Christ. The world would argue, or one of my not-so-favorite psychologists would say, that sexual impulses and drives are normal no matter what they look like. Depending on what the social appropriation is, the more we suppress these desires, the farther we lose ourselves from who we are. Reducing human sexuality to mere instincts. We live in a world where sexual instinct or desire has become the means of justifying one's own perverted sexual acts. Just because I feel this, that must mean that I must give myself to it. However, we're not of this world, church. And we have been saved from the needing to sinfully give in to these urges or desires. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. The temptations and the desires that we may experience in this flesh do not define you for who you are in Christ. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us in every way, but yet is without sin. Paul also, you know, in, um, in Romans, I don't have the direct quote, but he goes on to say about like, who will deliver him from this body of death, which is causing him to do what he ought not to do or, and to, you know, do what, uh, not to do what he ought to do. And he goes on to say, but thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. In controlling our own bodies, we are to do so in holiness and in honor. We keep our bodies in such manner by when we abstain from sexual immorality. The body and its God-given desires are to be seen and upheld with great sacredness. As we control our bodies, it's important that we don't detach from them the value in which they have been given in the Lord. Whether that be for those of you who are single, or whether it be for those of you who are in a relationship and not married, or whether it even be for those who are married and are needing to keep the marriage bed undefiled. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 to 15, it says this, that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. See, that our bodies and sexuality are meant not to be seen as mere impulses, drives, or instincts, which they may be, but are to be seen as that which is another expression of worship of God's created goodness in the lives of his creation. And to the second thing in terms of what it means to live in God's will with our sexuality implies that we be against 
a godless sexuality. Let us read verses five and six. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Church, the reason why we're called to be set apart in our sexuality is because there is a manner of life that is in complete and in direct opposition to God and his will for it. There would be no need for us to abstain from sexual immorality, to be set apart or to be holy in this matter if there was nothing to be set apart from. God's will calls us to be against and opposed to what the world tells us and preaches us about sexuality. Paul tells these believers that they should not give in to the desires of the flesh that could be invoked by the culture or the social influence these Christians were under. This church was literally at odds with the culture and society during their time when it came to the matter of sexual purity. Along with it also came the fact that Paul was mentioning this because there could have been some recent converts that were Gentiles who found sexual promiscuity as something that was normal. And so Paul wanted to ensure that nobody be, you know, you know, fooled or misinformed about what the Lord requires or also calls us to when it comes to this. The funny but not so funny thing is that we can say the same about our own culture today. I want to give you a quote from this Greek statesman and orator um, in ancient Athens uh, who provided insight to the politics and to the culture of ancient Greece during the fourth century. This is what he wrote. We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day -day bodily needs, but we have wives to produce legitimate children and serve as the trustworthy guardians of our homes. Young men were permitted to sexual relationships before marriage. Cicero also said, let not pleasures always be forbidden. Let desire and pleasure triumph up sometimes over reason. Cicero also said, if anyone thinks that a young man should be forbidden to have affairs, even with prostitutes, he is very strict indeed. For his view is contradictory not only to the law of the present age, but even with the habits of our ancestors and with what they used to consider allowable. For when, this is, for when has this not been a common practice? When was this blamed? When was it forbidden? When in fact did that which was lawful become that which was unlawful? That was the culture in the time during that age. It was reduced to the fact that how can you even begin to not allow yourself to give in to what is ultimately self-gratifying I found it interesting for him to say that even those who says that are forbidden to have affairs, even with prostitutes, that that was actually very strict. And that this was actually contradictory to what they know and what was taboo. Chastity and sexual purity was something that was actually not normal during this time. This is what Paul meant when he describes that the opposition and the complete denial of God among the people who practice these things the culture, along with the one that we find ourselves in today, is one that has gone beyond the permitting of sexual immorality, but rather has gone as far as to promote it. 
how can you not do that? How can you not actually go and fornicate? How can you actually not go and commit adultery? How can you not go watch pornography? All that is normal. A captivating church is one that is radically distinguished itself from the culture and society when it comes to the way we view and approach human sexuality. Church, we must not shrink back when it comes to this. We can't sit around and pretend that this is a manner of living, that this manner of living isn't something destructive to our lives, to those around us, and to society itself. Why? Because we understand that sexual immorality not only rejects God's will, but it affects others by damaging and hurting those around us. When Paul says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we have told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, he is letting them know that no one should dishonor, defraud, exploit, or cheat their fellow believer by way of sexual sin. Understanding that to commit such a thing against a brother or sister shows the selfish and arrogant posture of that person. Along with their lack of consideration for the shame, the guilt, the pain, the hurt that they have just placed upon this individual and whom they've committed this sin against. We are against a godless sexuality because, it is, because its outcome is the dismissal and tearing down of that person. Someone always gets hurt when it comes to sexual immorality. It's just the way it is. We all know what it does. Some of us know because we have witnessed it in the lives of friends, family, or even some of us have experienced it firsthand. Sexual immorality is, is not just, again, it's not just a matter of abstaining from it, but it is, it, it is what causes, that the, the outcomes of it causes us to literally view and have a heart towards others that we have sinned against that changes our perception of them, that is not in align to who and how we're called to see that person in Christ. Paul describes how serious God takes this uh, when it comes to the sexual integrity of his people. God knows the damages and the hurt that it does when one commits it against another. I mean, look what he says. He says, for no one should be fooled that God is an avenger, right? In all these things, and as we told you beforehand and have solemnly warned you. So God takes it serious it is clear that, he, that Paul wanted to ensure that these believers during this time of age, right, that they had no doubt in their minds about how God approaches, deals, and responds to the rejection of his command pertaining to the sexual purity of his people. Why? Because it is selfish and destructive when it, when it, at its core. Church, do we regard God in such a way that Paul describes him when it comes to walking and living out his will for our sexuality? And to my last point, in living in God's will with our sexuality, we must see it as a holy calling that it is. Taking us 
to faithfully respond to it in confidence despite our own sinful past, our present culture, and social age that opposes it. In order for us to live out God's will for our sexuality, we must see it as the holy calling that it is, despite our past and our present age. So for my third point is that it is our holy calling. And this holy calling is one that regards God above all. Let us read the last two verses of our text, and it says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul begins to close this portion of the letter by reminding them and us that in all of this, in all that we just talked about, right, in terms of living a life pleasing to God, in terms of uh, our sanctification, you know, when it comes to our sexuality and us being against a godless sexuality, above all this, Paul start, uh, closes off this portion of the letter with this. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. That we must know that God himself called us. One of the biggest things that we must believe and preach to ourselves constantly is that God's word and what he says should secure us and protect us from the lies of the enemy, our very flesh, and the world regarding who we are. Sexual immorality can cause us to shrink back into darkness and hide because of the shame, the guilt, the disgust, or the fear that we incur when we are in it. We might even go as far as to say, Christ can't love me after that. Christ doesn't want me anymore. God is going to abandon me after I just did this. Or even being burdened by the anxiety and the fear to want to make ourselves acceptable and approachable to God. Newsflash, it does not work that way. If you are a Christian and this is you, Brother or sister, repent and turn away from this sin and turn back to your Savior. For he has made you for more. There is no life when you hide. But when you come and you bring your sin to the light, there is grace, mercy, and love that awaits you. I'm not saying that there won't be natural consequences to this particular sin. But what I am saying is that the Lord is faithful to you in the midst of them. That the Lord has not abandoned you to them. The beauty of the gospel is that God saved us. And that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that is remove all our guilt, shame, disgust, fear, and pain that comes from our sin because of what Christ accomplished for us in the cross. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has called you to this. Why am I saying all this? Because it is easy for us to think that this calling of holiness is something that we must obtain or fight to accomplish. No, the call to holiness is what we're called to keep and be. 
for it is what God has made us to be because we are Christ, because we are holy in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15, uh, verses 15 and 16 state this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Our holiness in which we have obtained and possessed through the finished work of Christ on that cross has been given to us by God. Look at verse 7 when he says this, that it is that that we are not called to impurity, meaning that God did not save you and make you new so that you can go back to be stained by the very sin that he removed from you to begin with. And secondly, in this verse seven, which I find so amazing when it says this, that it says that he called us in holiness meaning that holiness is something that we have possessed and it is something that we have been marked by when we were saved in Christ. You are holy. When God saved us and redeemed us through the gospel, he did so by indwelling us with Christ's righteousness, making us holy. He has called us in holiness. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 4 says, even as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We respond to our holy calling by remembering that our holiness isn't something that we gain, but rather what and who we are, which then leads us to live and display that out in our lives. Why must we regard God above all? in the calling of holiness? Because if we don't, we will revert to either what we believe about ourselves in our own sexuality, or we will believe what the world says about our sexuality. Why do you think that in the last verse we read, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God? Because it is God who has made us holy, and for us to live contrary or contradicting the very holiness that we possess in him is us denying or dismissing who we are in Christ. We disregard God for those of us who are in Christ. Christian, don't disregard the, the work of Christ for you by returning back to impurity. And lastly, with this point, uh, that our holy calling is one that is in the Holy Spirit. It can be real easy as we talk about sexual, uh, you know, abstinence, about like, man, it can be real easy to become very legalistic and very moralistic and not realizing that our calling to holiness in this area of our life is one that has been propelled to and propelled by him who dwells and lives in us. Paul concludes that the disregarding of God's will of our sanctification for our sexual purity is because he has given us his Holy Spirit. This is huge for many reasons, and I will share with you two. The first one is that God has not left us to this calling of holiness to be carried out by our own mere will and efforts to become or be who he has made us to be. That's exhausting. No, he gave us the Holy Spirit who is God himself. 
Here's Paul in Romans 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The point of the gospel is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he made us holy and alive. Not that, not, not that through his work we may be having a chance to become holy. No, no, he has made us holy through his work. Many of us, how many of us truly consider on a day-to-day basis the Holy Spirit as we try to walk faithfully in love and obedience to Jesus? Jesus himself said that it is impossible, that it is through the Holy Spirit that we would be able to live and obey to that which he has called us to. We're told that apart from the Holy Spirit, it is actually impossible to please God. It is actually impossible to live in the manner in which God has called us to. And us wanting to grow and mature in our sexual purity is one that ought to come from our wanting to obey and love God more with this area of our lives, which is requires a Holy Spirit. The second reason as to why this is important is because we don't consider that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Paul mentions this because he wants them to know that sexual immorality isn't a mere outward dishonoring of God or of others, as it is also a direct degrading and dismissal of the presence of God the Spirit in you. For don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? How many of us will dare to commit sexual immorality in the presence of another brother or sister? I doubt anybody would. How much more grieving and dishonoring is it when we do so knowing that the spirit of God lives within us? And I want to make this point here because with this, because this is really important and, and how I, I've come to see sometimes the rationalization of how we, we're okay, we're, we're better off being able to, to, to present this outward expression onto others about our sexual purity without us taking into consideration that the Holy Spirit actually lives in us is that, that he isn't just some type of energy or force that gives us power when we need it. The Holy Spirit is a person just like God the Father and God the Son. The more we depersonalize the Holy Spirit, church, the more likely we are to dismiss his working and his presence in us. Why? Because if he is not a person, then we can't hurt him or sadden him with our sin. But church, he is. And Paul states this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, where he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We disregard God in such a manner because we directly and presently offend, hurt, sadden, and vex the Holy Spirit, which ultimately leads us to a disruption of fellowship that we have with him and God and the Godhead. I want us to be encouraged in knowing that our call to live in holiness and in our sexuality is not one that depends on merely us, but rather it's something that we surrender ourselves to through the Holy Spirit because it is God who has called us to this. It is God who has empowered us in this. 
And it is God who has given us the helper and the comforter to actually carry this out in those moments where we think we aren't able to. You know that when we say God is with you, it literally means because he is with you. Just the way it would be hard to commit sexual immorality when you have a friend next to you. How much more should we be confident knowing that we have the helper, the Holy Spirit himself, with us in those moments? So church, remember that our holy calling is one that regards God above all and one that is in the Holy Spirit. If you're, try, if, if you're trying, to, trying to grow in, in, this, in, this, you know, in the sexual purity and the sexual abstinence and holiness in this regard, apart from the Holy Spirit, yeah, good luck. Pretty sure it'd be very, very depressing. But knowing that God is faithful to us and that the good work that he started, he will bring it to completion. So to conclude, we're called to present ourselves and our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That we were saved and purchased with the price. That we are now to live a life that is pleasing to God and not ourselves. For we know what it looks like to please ourselves. For it is the very thing that took us to needing a savior. And as Paul reminds and exhorts these believers that their sanctification is God's will for them, and that includes our sexual purity, know that we are called to be set apart from the standards of this world when it comes to our sexuality. That we are to esteem this very aspect of our being as something that ought to be an expression of rightful worship and a means by which we better love and serve others. Ultimately, recognizing that if you are a believer that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that it is through him that you will carry out the call to holiness, along with growing in love and obedience towards God in this area. Not disregarding him or grieving him by returning to that which, from which he saved you and cleansed you from. Brothers and sisters, if you have been walking or returning from that which God has set you apart from, I plead with you, turn back. For there is no place for the living in the land of the dead. There is no amount of pleasure or gratification that can meet or satisfy your need. Don't listen to the deceitfulness of sin and its false promises. For all it does is take from you. I urge you to turn back to the Lord in repentance and in faith. We are told that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But the Lord doesn't stop there. He is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't hide in the shadows of despair, but come and bring it to the light that you may be freed from its bondage, remembering that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, I just want to say thank you Thank you for being here and giving us your time. It is, of no, it is not of no purpose that you are here with us this afternoon. But I must let you know that apart from a saving faith in Jesus, you are dead in your trespasses and are at war against God 
and who he has made you to be. No amount of self-love and sexual abstinence can remove the guilt and the sin and the shame and the pain that we have incurred from our sin. We ourselves know that it is impossible to completely remove any of this guilt from our past or present sin. But God in his mercy and in his grace and love sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that you and I cannot live, including sexual purity, and die the death that we deserve, nailing all our guilt, all our shame, all our sin, past, present, and future, to the cross on that day. In Jesus, we are given a new life and heart through the Holy Spirit that leads us to live for the one who we were made for and experience the goodness of that life in him. The Bible says that if we confess with our lips and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because you are present. We thank you because you have not left us to ourselves. We thank you, Christ, for you have not made us orphans, but rather we have him who is our helper and our comforter and him who gave this dead heart life, who turned this heart of stone into flesh. May we be reminded of the work that you do, Holy Spirit, that in doing so that we may respond to your call that you have for us as a holy people. We understand how hard it is to be able to, to combat this particular matter, Lord. It's hard to know that we live in a world that constantly presses and tells us that this is not the way. But Lord, you have opened our hearts, you have opened our minds, and you have given us life to see what is good, and that is you. I ask, Lord, that you help your church, that you, hurt, that you help your people, anybody, Lord, who may be struggling with this particular matter, that they may know that they are more than that, that you have saved them from that, that you have cleansed them from that, Lord, and that they may be reminded, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, live in them. Lord, I ask that as a church, Lord, in a culture and in a society that tells us that sexual immorality is something to be embraced, may we hold fast to your word. For we know that you are, that you are immutable, Lord. You do not change. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Lord. Allow us to believe your word and to hold fast to your will, Lord, for this area in our lives.